You're going to think some of the stories we're talking about on Today in Ohio today are April Fool's jokes, but they're not. It is Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I am here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And don't you wish some of these stories were April Fool's jokes? (laughs) I mean, wouldn't that give you more faith in government if they weren't squandering our money and resigning from office and all the other things we're going to be talking about? The entire redistricting uh, scandal. Right. Just right. an April Fool's joke. Just kidding. We passed fair maps months well, we ago. We certainly have right. the Tomorrow. fools. <laughs> we got that part. <laughs> yeah, we own them. <laughs> well, let's begin because I really do wish this one was an April Fool's joke. Days after we broke the story about Armin Budish and Cuyahoga County Council trying to squander $86 million in our precious American rescue plan dollars on slush funds. Budish announced a plan to spend even more of those dollars on another questionable purpose. How much, Layla, and what is it yeah, for? So, you know, Budish has been rolling out these batches of ARPA proposals. Many many of them have been good for, for good purposes, you know, the kinds of initiatives they should be used for post-pandemic recovery. But others have been terrible, like the $86 million they plan to divide into slush funds. Uh, for pet projects. And in yesterday's ARPA announcement, you'll find at least one of those really suspect ideas. So everyone knows the board that oversees the Global Center for Health Innovation, i.e. the MedMart, has been pushing the county to dump another $46 million into that facility to try to reclaim it from failure by expanding the convention center into that space. Well, many, many folks are opposed to that because Obviously, we have a lot of other stuff to pay for. Most pressingly, a new jail and justice center in the immediate future. And Armin Budish, as recently as February, assured the people involved in, in the jail project that no money had been pledged to the Global Center yet and don't worry about it and blah, blah, blah. Well, Caitlin Durbin noticed that in yesterday's batch of ARPA allocations, there was this pledge of $5 million for the Global Center that happens to be exactly the amount of money that the Global Center Board asked County Council for back in February to officially marry the property to the convention center and kickstart that renovation plan. Going any further than that will will heavily rely on county bonds. County Council hasn't entertained a proposal for that yet, but seems pretty obvious that's on the horizon. I think it's fair to assume they wouldn't burn $5 million of precious ARPA money on this albatross of a facility if they didn't plan on following through on the next steps. It just feels like the sneakiest backdoor way to go about it by trying to bury it in a laundry list of other ARPA spending. I I get the feeling that the county council uh, is completely out of touch with the public. I've rarely seen the unanimity from our readers that there is in opposition to spending another penny on the medical mart. It was a stupid idea when Tim Hagen and company first announced it. It has been a place where we just flush money down the toilet, multiple incarnations, nothing works. And now they want to spend $46 million more. Nobody wants that. I mean, it's just nobody wants that. We are working on a story. It's going to show every penny that we've spent on this thing since it started. But I'm just wondering... The public is dead set against this, and the county commissioners or, or county councils moving forward with it. I wonder if we should do a story, because I bet people don't even know who their county council members are. Put all their faces out there and say, these are the people 
that are flushing $46 million <laughs> down the men market. These are the people that are creating $86 million in slush funds for themselves in direct violation of the purpose of the government. You know, there's even a clause in the county charter that specifically says individual county council members should not have control over any money. They're going to say, well, we're voting on it together, so none of us have control. But, but we even put that clause in the charter to stop these guys from doing this kind of stuff, and they're yeah. doing it anyway, and nobody wants it. I mean, there is universal opposition to slush funds and to the idiocy of putting more money into the med Let's market. do it. I'm sure Caitlin would love to do that. You know, I, I just I mean, do you who, who's your no. county council member? I don't think people know. I don't and so know. We need to, <laughs> right. right. We need to put but they want to be your little mini mayor now. They want to have six million to go grease the palms of their friends. We, we just it, it, we should put a stop to it. We should put their faces out there and beg where, where, you know, millennials are of an age where they can run for office and they have great illusions about the way the world should work. Why don't they run for these jobs and run out these loser bureaucrats that are squandering tax dollars think about that 46 and and 86 million what you could do with mm-hmm. that money that would transform people's lives and they, you know they don't even talk about it how did they announce this through a i know video. the video thing is so <laughs> weird it's so weird and we were talking and about it, this because like you know the video rollout first of all it's very cumbersome you got to sit through 20 minutes of people taking turns talking about their thing and you're oh, taking it's note it's just awful you can't ask you cannot ask questions which is another you know it's 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 so oh it's just so awful i don't know who came up with that idea I don't know. Oh, no, it's a perfect idea if you don't want to hear from the public. If you don't want to have to face difficult questions, you get on, you stage act these terribly plotted videos, you blather and blather and blather, making people sit through to get the few facts that are in there so that they don't sneak something by. But there's no accountability. The accountability is at the polls, but people don't even know who these folks are. I mean, this is this government is a mess. And just it is striking that they're going to spend forty six million dollars when they have not identified money to repair the crumbling courthouse. Right. And Budish did assure that criminal justice committee, that they're not going to flush money away. They're going to take care of the courthouse, and they're doing it. I I mean, I don't know of a single justification for this. You don't need it for the convention center. Why are they so hell-bent on doing it? Is there some contractor that's going to get rich off of this that they're all trying to take care know. of? I mean, what but, is what is the real reason to, to squander forty six well, million after, dollars? I just think after this five million they, is spent, it'll only be forty one million, Chris. <laughs> yeah, but they're borrowing. That's the thing. They're putting the county deeper into yeah, hot because they don't have the cash to do it. They've it's never had success with the medical mart, right? They've never had the success they wanted with the convention center. And they keep saying, if we build this, this will be the golden ticket, yeah. right? Like we'll build the hotel and then we'll get bigger conventions. And and if we transform the medical mart to more meeting space then we'll be able to get the really big ones but i haven't seen any proof that those events really will come here it's time to put them on front street so people can see their faces see their names understand who they are because this is the crumbling this is the final crumbling really of the redesigned government 
It's and falling apart. Nothing about this was part of the plan. You mentioned the idea of millennials running for these seats. And that was the idea when they did this in 2010, that this would be a part-time job for really smart professionals who wanted to help, right? And actually, when in building the charter, I think they were only supposed to get paid $25,000 a year, but there were a lot of entrenched Democrats that got that pushed up. And now we have career politicians to just sit in those seats. Well, yeah, like Marty Sweeney, who's came up with that idea with you the You know what, though? Funds. The editorial board the other day, you know, we interviewed the, the two Democratic candidates for county executive. We asked them specifically what should be done with the Global Center. Is this a waste of money? And they were lame on this question. They had... Yeah. yeah. Chris Ronin was like, I'm not ready to say we should sell that property. Right. I... I think, we, you know, I think Cuyahoga County needs a strong convention center and we need to. Da, well, da, da, da. Their Republican opponent, Lee Weingart, is emphatic on what he would do with that. He wouldn't drop another penny into it and he would get rid of it. So at least one person running for that office has the clear eyed view of what a loser it is. Let's move on. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How much have airfares jumped in recent weeks in Cleveland because of the rising gas prices? Lisa, I bought some plane tickets for my daughter's family for this summer. I'm glad I got it before this happened. Yeah, there's a 26% increase in domestic round-trip ticket fares from Hopkins Airport. The average ticket is about $246, again, up 26% from last year, even higher than 2019. Uh, Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer had an analysis done by the Hopper Travel Data Company to extract some of this information. Um, They found that nationally, the average fare is $330, so we're below the national average, which is I guess kind of good news. Tickets nationally for domestic flights are up 40% just from the beginning of this year. Hopper uh, spokeswoman, um, I know I wrote her name down, uh, Haley Berg says that these prices are going to continue to go up. So if you want to buy for spring travel or early summer, you need to buy your tickets now because tickets won't be coming down anytime soon. Although, I don't know, is there a chance that the gas prices are going to drop? Biden is releasing a huge amount of reserves, and will things possibly stabilize? Is this a short-term thing? Uh, yeah, I don't know, and I have I have my own opinions about strategic releases from the oil reserves, but anyway, and whether they're effective. But yes, jet fuel prices are a huge issue here. Demand has surged back in the meantime, and seat capacity limits are actually down, so they're actually seating fewer people by about 8% on these flights. We did report that the parking lots at Hopkins are all full and the remote lots are nearly full. And so if you want to go somewhere, you might have to have somebody drop you off. So, so far, there's no abating. There's the highest demand for spring break travel we've seen in three years. We'll have to see if the prices come down. It's today in Ohio. What do we know about the Texas lawyer who has represented New Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson involving allegations of sexual abuse? Laura, we're going to keep analyzing this story because it is the biggest story in Cleveland right now, and a whole lot of people continue to wonder what the Haslams were thinking here. So we checked out the lawyer who has so far kept Deshaun Watson out of criminal trouble. 
Right. His name is Rusty Harden, and this guy is a total character. He's 80 years old and the go-to guy in Houston if you're a celebrity or a millionaire or an athlete trying to get out of trouble. He has seen huge success over his career, and which originally started as a prosecutor. And many of the cases have involved white-collar crime, estate law, drunken driving. He actually re- represented the Houston mayor's 17-year-old daughter for that. And he attributes – he actually talked to Adam Faris, our reporter, and he attributes his success to being an average person who grew up in a small town and knowing how to talk to juries. Well, we happen to have somebody on this podcast who actually was in Texas when he was a prosecutor, right, Lisa? Yes, I was. He was the first assistant uh, district attorney for Harris County in the late 80s and uh, early 90s. And I was saying to everyone before the podcast, he's he's quite a showman. I don't think he he's a showboater, but he's a very good attorney. And I watched him prosecute somebody in a capital murder trial of a Houston police officer. And it was the easily the most dramatic trial I'd ever seen. Wow. And, and he represented in Cleveland, we know this, the pilot Flying J president, mm-hmm. Mark Hazelwood, and all of those uh, corruption investigation into that. Which, So this is an interesting connection through Jimmy Haslam because uh, he owns Pilot Flying J, uh, his family company. But Hardin told Adam Faris that that was not the connection here. He hadn't seen Jimmy Haslam in 13 years when he shook his hand in this Deshaun Watson case. I mentioned that this story just continues to grow. We did publish earlier this week the complete list of allegations by the tw- in the 22 civil suits against Watson, mm-hmm. and I continue to hear from readers saying, okay, okay, I, after reading that, I, I don't see how this should proceed. They're dead set against uh, Watson being in Cleveland. I mean, a whole lot of people have read that and said the Haslam's made a mistake. And then two days ago, one of the 22 women wrote a, a letter to the editor of a website laying out her side of this and expressing her outrage. Laura, what did she say? Yeah, she, she wrote really eloquently about the process and how disappointed she was with the legal system and with the Browns. I, I mean, she called it evil, basically, to not believe these women and for not charging him. And uh, she, she put her name on it, and it's out there on the Internet. We're going to have a story on it today. And it, it's very specific and moving. Yeah, she was aghast that they, they didn't file the charges because she says the police and prosecutors told her this is a solid case. And when people say there's no evidence, she's saying the testimony of 22 women or however many there are is the evidence. Mm-hmm. And, and she really criticized those who are calling these women prostitutes. I mean, she's right. saying, I've been in this career for a long time. I've never had this happen. And, and that's, a, that's just an unfair characterization. This is growing. I think the Haslam's thought there'd be one big bout of, of bad publicity, but th- this doesn't show any signs of abating. And it's increasing. This is a nightmare for she, the Browns. She takes them on what they said in the press conference where they got comfortable, and she took issue with that phrasing. Yeah. And, and uh, yep, I mean... I think this is going to keep growing. She did mention that this would be a misdemeanor in Texas, which is what Corey Schaefer, one of our reporters who's looking into this too, found. So this isn't a felony in Texas, and I was surprised to find that out. Yeah, I mean, but even but twenty two misdemeanors. Right. Are this, you know, I and look. It, it it's a surprise based on what we now know that he wasn't charged. But we also know that when prosecutors don't want to get charges, they don't get charges. But 
the the, the microscope is on these cases now. I think the prosecutor is going to be in a hot seat. Can Look I point out stories. one more thing? Um, yeah, the the lawyer representing the 22 women is also very high profile in Houston. Maybe Lisa knows him as well, but oh, yeah. he ran for mayor and has won several multi-million dollar judgments mm-hmm. in civil cases. He also represented former Texas Governor Rick Perry in the past. So I'm sure this is these are like the battle of two very well-known lawyers in mm-hmm. Texas. OK, you're listening to Today in Ohio. For the third time this week, we are talking about the closing of Dave's Supermarket in Cleveland's Collinwood neighborhood. The first two times, we thought Dave's was closing because business had gone bad. But an interview with the landlord offers a new perspective, Layla, and it may not be what we thought. What's the story? We might even have another chapter after this. Who knows? So the running narrative was that the pandemic had changed shopping habits and that Business had slowed at that Dave's location and required that the the store close. And City Councilman Mike Palencic lamented that closing the store really limits food access for those in his neighborhood who are on fixed income, the elderly and low-income families within walking distance of the store who depended on it. And he said the city should have done more to creatively solve the problems that gave rise to the store's closure. And he, he condemned the landlord for driving up the rent on the Saltzman family who had run the business there for decades. Then we found out that, in fact, Mayor Justin Bibb had actually offered open-ended assistance to the Saltzmans. He said, is there anything the city can do to keep you from closing? And the Saltzmans said no. So it was clear that they were going to close that store no matter what. Then Courtney Stolfi got a call yesterday from Kurt Montlack of Montlack Realty, which owns the property. And he said, we had only heard part of the story. Keep in mind also, We've not spoken to the Saltzmans. They haven't returned our calls at all. So Motlack said he drove up the rent over the last year only because Dave's refused to commit to a long-term lease. He said the Saltzmans in recent years were looking for increasingly shorter-term leases, which signaled to Motlack that they were looking to leave. And Motlack was looking for the security of a long-term tenant, which makes sense, right? Without that, he felt he needed to increase the rent. And the lease also required the Saltzmans to cover maintenance costs of the facility. That was always part of their terms. But Montlack said that 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 would have been negotiable if they had agreed to a longer term. They were just unwilling to stay for longer than a year at a stretch. So he wasn't going to go pay for the new roof for them if they weren't going to stay. So they were kind of at this impasse. But what was really surprising is that Montlack refuted the suggestion that business was doing poorly there. As a condition of the lease, he had access to their financials because if they brought in more money than they expected, he was entitled to a a bump in rent. And Montlack said that they were edging closer to that threshold in recent years. So he says business was actually pretty good at the Collinwood Daves, and he just suspects that they wanted to abandon that location to put all of their resources into their other store a few miles away in Euclid. That, of course, is their right to do, right? But if that's the case, they should probably just be honest about it and not tell public officials otherwise, because now you've got Mike Palencic insisting that the Saltzmans had been treading water for years and that the unreasonable terms of Montlac's lease left Collinwood with a food desert. (laughs) So... Yeah. We're still kind of trying to – that's why I feel like we probably have one more chapter of the story to go because we still haven't heard from the Saltzmans. And 
So I feel like we're, 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 you know, we still have to bookend this yeah. story. <laughs> and Motlack said that their, their revenue had gone up in each of the last yeah. few years. So the trend that was described to Lensick and to the Bibb administration isn't there. They're, they're not, they haven't been losing more and more money because people were squeezed. And you're right. They could just say, look, we have two stores three miles apart. It doesn't make sense to us to keep doing that. It's hard to find workers. Yeah, that yada, makes yada, sense. Yada. That's good but, business, but whatever. Yeah. Mis- yeah. But you can't really mislead yeah. the public if that's in fact what happened. So I'm glad the real, th- the, the landlord called and, and laid that out because it does put a very different Spin. I never would have expected we would write three stories about the closing of a grocery store in Collinwood, and we're probably going to have a fourth. It is today in Ohio. So now that the case for Trevor Elkins is coming to a close, Lisa, will we see the Newburgh Heights mayor, I guess former Newburgh Heights mayor, in an orange jumpsuit? Not in an orange jumpsuit, but no longer in the mayor's seat either. Newburgh Heights Mayor Trevor Elkins at first pled not guilty to two counts of attempted election falsification and one count of attempted theft in office in a Cuyahoga County Court of Common Pleas. But late breaking last night, he agreed to a plea deal, which means he will step down as Newburgh Heights Mayor as part of that deal. He will avoid prison time if, you know, each of these charges is carried like six months in, in jail and a $1,000 fine per the three counts. So, uh, yeah, so he is, I don't know when he's going to resign or if he's resigned officially, but he will be stepping down. This was all about um, a 2019 audit that found Elkins' campaign funds and expenditures didn't match. He was using a campaign debit card for his own personal expenses to the tune of about $134,000 and over 650 different transactions between 2015 and 2019. He said he repaid the account, but he didn't know it was illegal to do that. Yeah, which that, that's the part that you go, come on. I mean, this was so clearly not legal. I'm surprised this case took this long to finally resolve. It was clear he was going to be dealing with the criminal offense at some point. So it just dragged on and on and on. But, it, but apparently he did finally make the deal and will no longer be mayor. I wonder if that's the last we see of him as a politician in these parts i don't know he's very active in democratic politics he uh has been newburgh heights mayor since 2011 so over 10 years and he like i said very active in local democratic politician circles so we may not hear the last of him but you know he might be a pariah who knows <laughs> are there really any pariahs in the Democratic Party? I mean, these guys create slush funds for themselves. You can't. You can't well, I don't think there's anything they can do to become pariahs. Jimmy DeMora could come back and lead that party again tomorrow, I suspect. It's today in Ohio. Laura, I'm throwing you a curveball. I'm going to ask you a question you didn't prepare for. You've been excited all week about the possibility of the biggest mural ever in downtown Cleveland. We have a story about it. Why are you excited about this? Well, because it's going to tower over public square. And I think, and there, and it, we don't know what it's going to look like. This is going to be a, a collaboration with the city of Cleveland. But if you know, if you're in public square and you know where Old Stone Church is, this is the building that's behind it. It's 21 stories and it has a basically just straight bare back facing it. And I don't know that I've ever really noticed it because it's just so bland. But the idea was they always assumed there'd be a, a a skyscraper, a tall building on the other side, and there never was one. So now we have this opportunity for some really cool public art downtown. It's the biggest public art in Cleveland when it'll get done. 
Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that would compare to this. It's huge, and they the the wall is solid. Like you said, they thought there'd be a building next door, and it's a fire break. If the building next door caught on fire, having the solid wall might protect this building. It's going to take a year to get to it. Steve Litt has a story about the renowned artist who will be doing it, whose name is hard to pronounce, so I'm not yeah, going to try. Julie Meritu. She's one of the world's most respected contemporary artists and this is all part of the front international cleveland triennial for contemporary art which is a mouthful in itself yeah it'll dominate the the the, the public square vista the just as much as the new sherwin williams building will so the public square area you're going to get rid of the bollards you're going to have this gigantic mural you're going to have the new sherwin williams building it's going to be like a whole new place down there mm-hmm. so yeah, check I out think- I think it's really cool, and I know that you know the big Sherwin Williams mural that with LeBron. We always made a big deal out about that, but that was just canvas and a poster, really. So this is this is art, and you get to have a say in what it's going to be. Check out Steve's story on Cleveland.com. Why is nationally known Geraldo Rivera, who lives in Shaker Heights, ending his Geraldo in Cleveland radio show? Lisa, I gave this one to you because you're the longtime radio person, and so you have a connection. Geraldo is basically leaving his job because he's old. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, only, <laughs> only partially. <laughs> I mean, that was his reasoning. You know, he's 79 years old. Uh, he is doing co-hosting duties on a Fox News show called The Five, and he has to fly to New York City every week to do that show. And he says it, that's just taking too much of a toll on him. I mean, he's been a newsman for over 50 years. So um, his last show is actually going on as we're recording this podcast is last show on WTAM 1100 is at nine o'clock on Friday morning, his very last show. He moved to Shaker Heights to do this show back in 2017, and it was kind of because of his wife. His wife, Erica Levy, is from Shaker Heights. She wanted to return home, so he came with her. They are not leaving Shaker Heights. He's just leaving his job at WTAM. And I, I just love that I had this story because Laura and Layla are too young to remember this, but Chris, do you remember Al Capone's vault? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was back in 1986 when Geraldo Rivera opened Al Capone's vault on live TV. And it was a frenzied thing and a big buildup. And when they opened the safe, there was like some empty bottles and dirt. That was all that was in there. (laughs) Yeah, it was one of the biggest pop culture moments of the 80s. I mean, there was a show on. It was so big that there was a popular police show called Hill Street Blues that did a parody of it. And it just was it was one of the best known things when they moved to shaker heights they also caught some attention because he and his wife had opposing political steins in the yard at some point on a presidential race right Um, so he's been he's made himself known here uh and you know he did us the favor when we started this podcast of interviewing me for it and uh talking about it i think it helped us grow how it was going a couple years ago so we wish him well it's today in ohio For Westsiders, the Pearl Brook Park Car Wash has been a landmark for nearly six decades. So why is it closing and what will happen to it? Laura, this was a talker for Westsiders yesterday. Everybody felt like they had a connection to it. Which is really interesting because I knew nothing about this specific yeah, car wash. Yeah, but you're a new Westsider. <laughs> you're not a long-time Westsider. I am not a long-time Westsider. But this has been there for 57 years of business, and it's closed. it closed on Wednesday. I don't think it had a lot of 
noticed that it was closing because it can't find employees. And the owner, it's the original owner from 1965. He bought it when he was 26 years old, one of the busiest intersections in Cuyahoga County. And at one point they had detailing, restoration service, and also gas. They sold gas. And I, you know, they got to the point, they had the customers in the cars, but didn't have the help ever since COVID, which I feel like is a familiar refrain. Yeah, I mean, it's just surprising that that a a business that old that people still want to use, he didn't have any shortage of customers or anything like that. They just can't make it because they don't have the people. But there's a buyer presumably thinks they will find the people, right? That's going to be the same kind of business. Well, yeah, it's Rainforest Car Wash. And then they have locations in Cleveland Heights, Brunswick, Medina, Avon, and one that's going to open in Menor. So you have to think that you know, there's economies of scale here that they'll have more employees. And if they have a shortage in one place, they'll be able to send somebody from another. So yeah, it's still going to be a car wash, just not the family owned one that people have been so familiar with for so long. Yeah, that popped up on the radar and it seemed like an automatic story. People like love to read about openings and closings. I mean, the, the grocery store story and this one were both in our top 10 of readership yesterday. So people eat this kind of thing up. You're listening to Today in Ohio. I didn't think we'd get to the Lakewood Hospital site, Laura, but we are. There are plans for the Lakewood Hospital site. What are they? Yeah, $90 million project with hundreds of apartments, some retail, a parking garage, and the headquarters of Roundstone Insurance, which would move a few blocks east from its current location. This is a 5.7-acre site at Detroit and Bell Avenues, right in the center of downtown Lakewood. And it's been the center of a lot of community furor for years and years. A huge faction of people never wanted the hospital closed at all. It was a Cleveland Clinic hospital. And it's been mostly vacant since 2016 when a previous deal fell apart. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio, and that's going to do it for Friday. You guys all have good plans for this not pleasant coming weekend? Eh. I'm going down to the crew game uh, with my kids and like a whole bunch of people from our soccer organization. Oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah, it should be fun. Layla, Lisa? (laughs) I'm just hitting the thrift stores. Nothing special. Um. Layla, you're giggling, so you must have great plans. (laughs) I have no plans. I just can't <laughs> wait to sleep in tomorrow. <laughs> just Yay. my husband's off for the first time in a long time, and I've been just fantasizing about sleeping in. <laughs> okay, well, enjoy that, and we'll be back on Monday for another discussion of the news in Northeast Ohio and Ohio. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.